Good morning. It is good to be back with you this morning after a week off. My family enjoyed some time last week. Uh, We started out flying out to Colorado and then driving back, at least a portion of us drew back, and uh, we are very thankful for the time to be away, but also it is uh, good to be back with you all. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as we uh, begin tonight or today working in this incredible book that we have now been drawing to a close. Tonight, we're going to dig into a new study, and that new study being in the book of Hebrews, and so uh, you don't want to miss tonight. We're going to try, uh, I, I say this, whenever a preacher says how long a sermon series is going to be, he's probably got a pretty good idea that it's going to change. Uh, That's where I'm at. I'm going to try to do 20 weeks in the book of Hebrews, and that is going to be moving very, very fast. We could spend 20 weeks in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. Uh, So saddle up, because we're going to be moving rather rapidly uh, through the book of Hebrews together. And Sarah, I don't have control uh, this morning, so if you just control that, that'd be great. Thank you. So we are uh, moving then this evening, and they do tie together uh, in Hebrews to where we are today in 1 Thessalonians. And that is where Andrew for us read our call to worship, this understanding of leadership in the church. It's also a critical time in the book of 1 Thessalonians because Paul is giving to us a very fast, hard-paced, rapid-fire set of instructions as he's closing out the letter to the Thessalonian church. And we're going to get into all of that uh, this morning. Church leadership has taken a beating in the news in recent years. In fact, yesterday in preparation for today, I went on just to see if I could, how many scandals I could find that involved church pastors, and I gave up. I counted so many that I just thought, you know, this is a depressing number, actually, where we are seeing a greater increase of church leaders and Christian organization leaders fall in immorality or spiritual abuses, or in some ways have become overbearing and self-seeking. And so church leadership has taken a beating in the news, and therefore it's taken a beating in our secular societies, the way that we live with other believers and the way that outsiders live with believers. We see a, a suspicion that has come up as overbearing, abusive leaders have manipulated through cultural fundamentalism, cultural sensitivities, and bad theology. On the other side, we have weak, self-seeking leaders who have engaged in all kinds of immorality that should not even be named among the pagans and yet is named among the leaders of the church who only seek their own gain. Is this all that the church is left with for leaders today? And I would say absolutely not. We have a responsibility to take great joy in the godly leaders that God has given to us. How do we respond then to godly leaders? One author writes this. He says, our life should be a reflection of the beauty and the loveliness of Jesus. God could have used mirrors to reflect his person, but he did not. He could have sent angels to reveal his character but he did not. He gave that indescribable privilege to his children, to us, in fact. 
Therefore, says the Apostle, we should be examples of godliness to those all around us. And we look to our leaders to guide us in that endeavor. Beloved, it is a wonderful thing filled with rich blessings for the church to respect her leaders. And that is where we will be this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. I want to read verses 12 and 13 because that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Then we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. The Scripture says this, beginning in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are dealing with a text that Paul has given right at the end of 1 Thessalonians. As he has provided this, we are mindful of the background of the context, but as he is beginning to say goodbye and signing off on this letter, we recognize that he has several fast-paced, hard-hitting instructions for us, and this one is the chief among them. We in the flesh are not favorable to those who would look after our souls. So especially in a day and age where we see abuses abound and society very quick to point those out, we recognize that the trust in clergy, the trust in pastoral leadership is at an all-time low. Yet we also recognize that you have provided for the church those men who are godly, faithful leaders. We praise you for our own leaders, our elders, our deacons, our pastoral staff, who have all sought to live pure, holy lives before you. Lord, we know that Satan wants to creep in, and he will creep in through the leaders if he can. So we pray for our leaders. We ask that you would keep them holy before you, pure in their lifestyle, give them time to be with their families that it would be a cherished time with them. Give them a diligence and a dedication to be discerning, to love your word, to love you more than all else. And may that be an example that is witnessed and observed by each and every one in our fellowship and beyond. That we would look to our leaders as the examples of godliness that would point us to the reflection of your beauty and the loveliness of our Savior. So, Lord, as we dig into this text before us, we recognize that this is a difficult message for me to preach. and Perhaps it's a difficult message for us to hear. But I pray that your Spirit would be preparing our hearts and allowing us to be faithful students of your Word, not moving away or shying away from passages that make us uncomfortable, but willing to engage and to obey, to give you the glory and honor, so that we may indeed reflect you to a lost and dying world. So, Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for all that we have before us today. We thank you for your word and the preciousness of it. I pray that you would give me the words to speak, that it would be with the authority of your spirit, uh, speaking to our hearts to give you glory and honor. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for all of this. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Paul moves into the last portion of his book, he starts with leaders in the church. In verse 12, and I've already mentioned, and I mentioned to the elders as we gathered in prayer a few moments ago, this is a very difficult text to preach when you're a church leader. 
And as a church leader, I am saying that uh, we're digging into a passage that says respect church leadership. That seems a bit self-serving, but it is here in the text, and we want to be found faithful to the text, and we want to understand what we are to be responding to it with. And so we begin with leaders in the church and Paul's request. And I find Paul's request somewhat fascinating. Notice what he says in verse 12 as he begins the verse. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you. Isn't that a fascinating way for the Apostle Paul to have ended this great crescendo of theological purpose to then immediately transition and say, after all of that authority being exuded, to say, we ask you, brothers. After the encouragement and important statements that Paul has made in chapter 4 and the first half of chapter 5, he now turns to hard-hitting several bits of instructions as he closes the end of the book. These instructions come in very quick succession for us, but we should not let them pass in the same manner. It may be easy for us, especially as we're preparing for 2 Thessalonians, it may be easy for us to skip over verses 12 through 28 as if Paul is just concluding his letter, let's move on and move to the next book. But the instructions that we find here are hard-hitting and are important. And Paul does not want us to miss them for the sake of getting through to the end of the last words, to the words of verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul is still wanting and desiring for us to understand these hard-hitting, fast, quick succession instructions along the way. And so we're going to do that. We're slowing down. This will be the slowest we've gone, actually, through the book of 1 Thessalonians over the next few weeks as we deal with just each one of these instructions as, with as much detail as possible. Paul begins by asking. It is stated, as he moves into this quick succession of instructions, it is stated as a petition. And Paul follows those, re, those petitions with reasons. I want you to respect the leaders who labor among you. And he's going to give us why. Paul desires the church to respect those who labor among them, over them, and admonish them. How many of us like those who labor over us, who have some sense of leadership over us and admonish us? I don't want you to answer that out loud. Because there's something in our heart that says, I don't want that kind of observation. I don't want to submit in an area where, frankly, it's my own personal business. It's between me and the Lord. And that's how we think in our Western world. And evidently, that's how Paul's world thought too. It's fascinating to me. We do not know the context by which Paul is writing, but evidently something was going on in Thessalonica. This is a healthy church. This is a church that has done well. Paul commends them for their faithfulness and their obedience. And yet somewhere along the line, this is also a church that has allowed for there to be some criticism, unbiblical criticism, of their leadership. And Paul calls it out in these two verses. Church leadership, in many ways today, is viewed, and appropriately I should say, many appropriate ways today, is viewed with suspicion. 
But that is a somewhat unique bit in history. If you go back even just 30, 40 years ago, you see a far different view of church leaders than we have today. Every decision that a leader makes today is given scrutiny, is given suspicion, and viewed from a more secular lens than at any time, perhaps all the way back to Paul's time. Some of the suspicions are valid, and we certainly see those abuses reported regularly in the media, and we should condemn them boldly. We shouldn't condemn those who have fallen away from the things of the Lord, who have fallen into immorality and sin. We should be those who call out that sin. Yet some of the suspicions are not valid and are, instead, the outflow of hearts that reject authority and turn to selfish ambitions. And so we get both extremes, and we are prone to extremes. All of us in humanity are prone to one side or the other, and Paul corrects both in these two verses. He doesn't allow us to have uh, abusive leaders over the top of us, and he doesn't allow us to not in some way submit to the leadership that God has provided for the church. So Paul corrects both wrongs in his first instruction and and the reminder that Christ is returning for his church and the wrath of God that will follow. So Paul has built this case, and he has been building it through chapter 4, and now that he's closing out the book, it's not unrelated. It's not as if Paul says, okay, on to another subject in verse 12. He says, what sort of people ought you to be? In light of the great theology, in light of all that is going to take place, remember Paul is not writing a theological treatise on the issue of the rapture and the day of the Lord, although we use it as such, and appropriately so. Paul's purpose was to minister to an ailing church, a church who had members dying, and as they were dying, there's concern that they somehow missed the return of Christ. And so that is the reason that Paul has started writing on the issues of the rapture in chapter 4 and the issues of the wrath of God in chapter 5 and the day of the Lord in chapter 5. So as Paul has been writing this, he's not writing this all so that we would have this pie-in-the-sky idealistic view of the future. Paul is writing it so that you may know how to live today. And his first bit of instruction after leaving that behind, the verse 11 behind of chapter 5, is remember your leaders. Respect them. Respect them. And Paul begins what he has actually addressed many times. We're going to look at a few passages, a couple of them we may just write down for the sake of time. Paul has spoken of this issue multiple times throughout his letters, through his epistles. The first is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 11 through 14, where he reminds the church that we are to be built up. And the role of the leader of the church is to build up the church. That is our next point there, is to build up the church. Look into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. Scripture says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It is pretty easy to draw the connection if we were to look at the condition of church leadership in our world today with the decline of the church in the world today. There's a, an easy connect. The two definitely go together. A decline in church leadership, a decline of the quality of church leadership, means that the church is being tossed to and fro and following every single whim and whiff of doctrine that comes along. The church no longer has the moral aptitude and the discernible spirit to stand firm in a season when Satan is having a field day with all kinds of errors in secular society that are now impacting the church. We know that the Lord gave the church leaders to build up the church to maturity. Their ministry, the ministry and the work of diligent shepherds, does not conform to the standards that you may hold for the church. But they conform, or they must conform, to the standards that God holds for His church. It is not about filling auditoriums. It is not about getting more and more people to to give to the church or to give to special needs. It is about conforming to the standards of a holy, awesome God. And it's the shepherd's job to do that. James 2 reminds us, and we're not going to turn there, we're going to reference it later today, but James 2 reminds us that those who teach will incur a stricter judgment because of their influence in leading others. That means that those who will sit in your Sunday school classes today and teach you, and those who fill the pulpit, and those who lead in spiritual matters, elders and deacons, will incur a stricter judgment because of their influence of others. Paul tells Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.5, he says this, 1 Timothy 1.5, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is doing what is demonstrative of Ephesians chapter 4. He's doing this with a pure heart and a good conscience. Can you imagine Paul writing this to Timothy? And Timothy has been through much with Paul. He's observed the persecutions that Paul has faced. He's observed the fact that oftentimes Paul would be forced out of a community before any formulation of a church had begun other than the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Paul would labor over those new believers and help them form, even from a distance, the function and the purpose of the church. And when Paul says that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, Timothy certainly observed that in Paul. But it may not have looked like it. When Paul's being drug out of various cities like Philippi and Thessalonica, where Paul is hauled out of Berea, where Paul has to stand firm against believers in Corinth, there are those people, I'm certain of it, who didn't like when Paul showed up in town. 
And some of those people were in the church. But Paul says the aim of our charge is a love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul's standard was not the standard of the world. Paul's standard wasn't, when I walk into town, the crowds will cheer my name. Paul's standards was related to his Savior. Paul's standard was, is God pleased? Has God done his work through me? The Lord in his wisdom and his will provides the church with leaders who are given strict guidelines by which God will judge their faithfulness and their effectiveness. And it is a fearful thing to stand in the presence of a holy and awesome God to give an account over such strict guidelines. What we think successful church growth should look like, believer, listen, does not matter. What we think successful church growth is, does not matter. What we think our preferences are, does not matter. God's standards are those by which I will be judged, and so will all of your leaders. It is by God's standards that one day every elder, every deacon, every pastor who served in this church's fellowship will be judged. It will not be based upon the preferences of the congregation. It will not be based upon the preferences of secular society. It will not be based upon the trends of current culture. It will be based upon God's standards. And God will require of each leader a proper obedience. Andrew mentioned that this past week we just welcomed in the oncoming board members to our board and we reorganized and are prepared for the new year to come. And as we do that, at the beginning of each one of those meetings each year, I start out by reminding our men of the necessity of pureness and holiness before the Lord. Because Satan is going to want to drive a wedge there and it will be in the leadership that he's going to try to do so. And I shared with them that church leadership is like miracle grow on your sin life. It really is. Your leaders are subjected to the full-on throng of Satan and his minions. And they do it so that they can be found faithful to God's standards. If God is going to hold his leaders to that standard, then he requires a proper response to the leadership that he has placed. And that's where Paul is in this text, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is reminding us with a crisp set of clear guidelines to follow, which will enable us to maintain purity in our fellowship 
If we will respond to godly leaders as we ought, we will maintain purity in our fellowship. It is not just a matter of believing sound doctrine, which is very important, but it is not just that. Or the crossing of all of our theological T's, which is also very important, but it's not just that. Or the preaching of the whole counsel of the Word of God. It is, that is very important, but it's not just that. It is more. It is much more. It's a response to the work of the leaders. What is the work of the leaders? Verse 12 continues. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, laboring among. Your leaders are to be those who are laboring among you. We do not know the occasion, as I mentioned earlier, for Paul to write these words to the church, but it is likely that there was somebody in the church upset with church leadership. Imagine that. Somebody disagreed with the decision the church leader had made. Color me shocked. <laughs> there is going to be those occasions that come in to the church where there are differences and somebody thinks we need to go this way, somebody else thinks we need to go this way, and church leadership has to decide and it will probably be a whole different direction than what has come up. We don't know the occasion, but Paul is evidently writing to somebody, the entire church, somebody among that entire church who's upset at leadership. <clears throat> Paul makes it clear, though, that the church should be rejoicing and enjoying the rich benefits of pastoral oversight. And those rich benefits of pastoral oversight are the three he's about to lay down for us, and then the call to peace at the end of verse 12 or verse 11, 13 when we get there. John Stott suggests this, he says, of leaders, they are not meant to monopolize ministries, but rather to multiply them. God has ordained leadership for the church, and that is why we have elders and deacons in every local church. They are to be spirit-filled individuals who lead the flock of God in a way that glorifies God. So there is clear distinction as to who godly leaders are and who they are not. For our godly leaders, we are called, Paul is asking, he's petitioning us to respect those who labor among them. Respecting the leaders is due in part because while they are the leaders of the church, they are also one of the church. Christy and I, on the way to church this morning, had this conversation about leaders in the church and uh, shepherds shepherding the flock. It's an interesting conversation to have with one of your children because she says, well, you're shepherding us towards the things of God. I said, yes, as an under-shepherd, I'm shepherding us to the things of Christ's likeness, and we are to be like Christ. And I am like one of the sheep in the same process. Isn't that an interesting and weird place for a leader to be? You're a leader but you're one of. You're a leader of the sheep that you're a sheep with. That's what Paul has called leaders to be those who labor among the sheep. They're among the sheep. They are there with them. The word he uses for labor reminds us that the work in the church is at times so wearisome that leaders fall into bed 
at night, at the end of the day, and usually quite late, out of complete exhaustion into their beds. The word for labor literally means toiled, toiling. It was used to describe the arduous hard work of a farmer of Paul's day. They're literally bent over, cleaning out a row of weeds, prepping the soil for planting, prepping the harvest to be gleaned. Their hands are calloused, their backs hurt, their necks are burnt. That's what a leader does among you, or they should. We do not have, and I praise the Lord that we do not have, at Byron Center Bible Church, lazy leaders. We want leaders who multiply the work. We want leaders who get their hands dirty. We want leaders who smell like sheep. And in order to do that, you have to be among the leaders. Shepherding is no easy task. It is an arduous task. There are buckets of tears to shed as well as sacksfuls of joy to share. There are ups and downs often within the same instant. There is that which is conducted up front, but often there is much more carried out behind the scenes. An average person in the pew has little or no idea what goes on beyond the glare of the public eye. And that is probably a good thing. But it is those things beyond the public eye that are wearisome and that we respect our leaders in. Because not only are they laboring among us, they are laboring over us. They are laboring over us. We are to respect the leaders of the church because of their spiritual authority. Their spiritual authority. We're reminded of the passage that Andrew read for us to start this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17, which I'm going to read for you again so that we hear them. Verses 7 and then skip down to 17 of Hebrews 13. The scripture says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The role of leading over means that pastors and elders, specifically, have the superintending role of an overseer as they watch over the spiritual well-being of the souls in their charge. Among other duties, they are to feed the flock of God the truth of God's Word. They are to lead the flock by example and testimony. They are to plead for the flock before the throne of grace. This is spiritual leadership that demonstrates humility and gentleness as dominant features in the character of a godly leader. This is not lording over. When a leader labors over, he's not lording over. But there is some sense of spiritual responsibility and obligation that is over us. He is one who ought to demonstrate humility and gentleness, but there will be times where a firmer grasp is necessary. 
and a wise and godly leader will know the time and the place. Not by his own experience or wisdom, but because he is a man dependent on the leadership and the ministry in his own life of the Spirit of God. So leaders have responsibility to labor among. To labor among the flock. They have responsibility to labor over the flock. To ensure that the work of pursuing godliness is having opportunity to grow in your life. And then this third one, looking after spiritual concerns. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 12. He says, we are to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now just to see that word may be a little bit prickly for you. What do you mean? I have a leader outside of my family who's a church leader who doesn't know every detail of my life who I am going to be admonished by? That should probably make you squirm a little bit in your chair. Probably does at least. What does it mean to admonish? Looking after spiritual concerns, the spiritual leader will admonish This idea, the word that Paul uses, portrays an ongoing ministry where a group of believers are consistently reminded personally and corporately of biblical truth. It is not enough for a spiritual leader to just say that I have authority over you, spiritual authority over you, and are you doing well? But it is also necessary, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, for the shepherd to push us on to maturity in Christ-likeness. And so both terms are meant. There is an element of purity and holiness in the shepherding over, and there is a point of maturity and godliness being, being those who live sanctified lives in this role of admonishment. It is not just enough for you to sit in your chairs, and warm it on a Sunday. You have to live it out on a Monday. You have to live out the Word of God every day of the week. And that is what it means to admonish, to be instructed to do that. The church leader is one who sincerely looks after our spiritual interests. This is insightful, gentle, biblical concern for faithfulness and theology and practice in the Christian life. And it is the shepherd who is gifted for that task. It is those who are elders within the church who observe the quality of your Christian life and then push you to greater quality and quantity. In the process of mutual respect of the opportunity for iron sharpening iron, for the reminder of drawing in and growing in the things of the Lord. So a spiritual leader is one who is found faithful, laboring among, laboring over, 
and looking after the spiritual growth, the spiritual concerns of the flock. If your pastor fails in those capacities, then remove him. That's the role. Those are the roles, rather, of a spiritual pastor, a spiritual shepherd. If your pastor fails to labor among you, remove him. Not out of rebellion to God's directives, but out of submission to them. If your leadership fails to be those who push you to godliness, then submit to them. Follow their lead. Don't believe that you can sit distantly and observe as critics from the balcony. Remember those two guys on the Muppets? Don't be those two guys on the Muppets. Always criticizing those down below. Let us be a congregation that says that while the spiritual leaders over us may differ, may have differences of opinions from us, we submit to them because they are godly leaders. Therefore, we must have godly leaders. Let us always endeavor to pray that our leaders would be godly leaders. Because the news is filled with those who are not. They look good on paper. They sound good in person. But they're wicked to the core. Let us flee from ungodly leadership and be drawn into godly leadership and let godly leadership lead. Paul says respect them. Respect godly leaders. Let's move on because Paul is going to fill in some of these details as we continue looking into appreciating godly leaders. Because Paul is going to tell us how to respond to godly leaders. He's told us many other places and many other times what godly leaders are to be. That's not the point that he is speaking to here. Here he is speaking to how do we respond to godly leaders? How do we appreciate them? And he starts with reminding them in verse 13 to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This may be one of the most difficult tasks for a congregant a member of the congregation, to say, wait a minute, pastor has just convicted me of whatever this sin is. At least they've drawn it out, and the Spirit is now convicting me of whatever sin this is. And I don't like it. I don't agree with them. I don't like it. Paul says in that moment, have loving regard, in his words, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We esteem godly leaders highly when they have offended our fleshly sensitivities. Because there's very few who are willing to offend your fleshly sensitivities. Have you noticed that? Turn on the TV and watch the first commercial that you see and tell me if they offend your fleshly sensitivities. They're not going to offend your fleshly sensitivities. They want to Appeal to your fleshly sensitivities. But the wise and godly leader will be one who stands in the gap 
laboring among you, laboring over you, observing the spiritual push to help you grow in Christ. And we are to have, in response to that work, a loving esteem for their work. The leader's leadership, let me back up one step, the godly leader's leadership is from the Lord. Godly leaders are a gift to the church from the Lord. The church then has responsibility toward those leaders. They are neither to despise them as if they were dispensable, nor to flatter or fawn on them as if they were popes or princes, but rather they are to respect them and to hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. To esteem does not mean to set up on a pedestal, and that is what we tend to do. We tend to put pastors on pedestals. If they're pastors that we like, we put them on pedestals. If they're pastors we don't like, we put them as our footstools. There's really no place in between that we place them. And Paul is calling for us to esteem them, but not to put them onto pedestals and not to put them on footstools. The pastor puts himself on the footstool. Let us then not reply in return by putting them on the pedestal. We are not to despise godly leaders as if they're dispensable, nor to flatter or fawn on them as if they were popes or princes, but rather to respect them and to hold them in the highest regard. The role of leader is designed by the Lord, according to Ephesians 4, for the building up of the church, so that we all may obtain the measure of adulthood and the things of Christ. So that we're no longer tossed by the childish things. We're no longer drawn into the colors at the lower shelves. The other day I was in a store during Valentine's Day. And uh, by the way, men, that's a bad time to be in the store. If you haven't noticed. Um, but I was there and a dad was, uh, had a, a little guy by the hand and was dragging the little guy through the store and and every time the kid, and we just kind of kept bumping into one another as we were shopping, and every time the, the child would stop, it was always at a display of some, something appealing to them, candy or toys or bright colors. And the child was probably three or four. And it was fascinating to me how many times we as a church function just like that child. Like, oh, look, colors. Candy. Ah, toys. And we don't see all of the noise that's going on above us. People crashing, trying to run into this poor little guy. His dad was hit three times that I observed by carts trying to protect his son from being run over by people hustling through the store trying to get whatever they wanted to get. Three times the dad took the cart to prevent the child from getting hit. We are, as a church, to not be as the child, but to grow to the full stature of manhood. To be those who are not tossed around by the glitter and the glamour of the things that are on our level. And in order to do that, we need the protective hand of godly leaders 
who will point us to the things we don't want to be pointed to. A few minutes after seeing the dad nearly hit for the third time, this time in the Valentine's candy section, I was over in the grocery section looking at in the fruits and the vegetables portion of Meyer, and here comes the dad with a kid kicking and screaming, yelling because he wants to be over there where the candy's at. We do that in the church. The candy's over here. And the godly leaders are pulling us to the meat and the valuable dietary, spiritual dietary elements of the Word of God. Paul says that the role of leader is designed by God for the building up of the church of God. In 1 Thessalonians, that was Ephesians 4, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, notice what he says as its immediate value to you and I. The end of verse 13, he says, Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. It is a fact of life that we will not and do not always agree with those in leadership roles. You will not. You will not always agree. And your leaders will fail you at times. We will not and do not always see eye to eye with our leaders. There will be things that they do and things that they do not do that, to be honest, we just simply don't like. But with godly leaders, Paul would say, in light of eternity, those differences do not matter. In light of eternity, those differences do not matter. The matter of peace in the church is a significant matter. Hebrews 13, 17, Paul, or rather the unnamed writer, who's not Paul, by the way, we'll get into that tonight. Most likely not Paul. The unknown writer of Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us that we are to allow our leaders to serve with joy, which is benefit for us is benefit for us. It's good for us when we allow our leaders to be godly leaders. When we allow our leaders to lead well and not hinder them so that they can lead with joy. It is not peaceful when we constantly attack godly leaders and tear them down. It is not beneficial for us to force our way against godly leaders, knowing that they are godly leaders, knowing that we have a differences, differences of opinion, knowing that we think that we're right and that they're wrong. It is not beneficial for us to push the issue unless there is a biblically grounded and rooted doctrine to do so. Pastors are finite and frail, just as you all are. And so there is the correction that is necessary, but there is the method for doing so as well. Paul lays that out for Timothy 
in his letter to this young pastor. There's a way to do that correction. And it's not the same way as to sharpen one another, but it is similar. But if we are to stand in the way and cause problems, then we will have a disunified church. This past week, I stood, just over a week ago, I should say, I stood the barn of an individual who I've ministered with and to, and we love them dearly for a number of years. And I had pastored in a specific church, and he made reference to the fact that the church is going back to where it had been before I had arrived. The hostility, the aggravation, the challenges that were laid out that the church was now having to endure again in its church history. It is difficult for the body of believers to shake off when they have mistreated leaders in their past, and they struggle to get good and godly leaders in the present. Let us be those who will be at peace among ourselves by responding biblically and appropriately to godly leaders, holding them to account, holding them to the truth of the Word of God, investing diligently in them, Ensuring that they are laboring among us. Your pastors and your elders should be working diligently among you. They'll also, because of that, be better at laboring above you or over you. Laboring on behalf of your spiritual purity, holiness. And they will also be better equipped to push you to maturity. But we want to be in the Valentine's candy. So let them push without acting like the four-year-old screaming child. Let them push us to maturity so that we may be at peace. Don't look to find something wrong because I guarantee you will. You will find something you do not like. One last illustration of that. When... Lisa and I had just gotten engaged. I was a junior, and, or rather a sophomore in college, and she was the head of the yearbook committee at college. I have no passion whatsoever to do any kind of yearbooks. Never did. Never will. But I had passion for the girl who was doing the yearbooks, and so guess what I did for my elective that year? Yearbook. And I remember sitting in the administrative elements, or the administrative wing of Calvary Bible College's campus and being too close to administration. I'm negotiating contracts for the yearbook I'm, because I don't take pictures. I'm not very good at it. I don't take very many of my own pictures <laughs> I, I can't arrange pictures on a paper very well or a page. I can't put the layout all together. All of that, there was people to do that. My job was to negotiate contracts and to interact with administration. Here I was, the smallest department in, at Calvary, and thought I knew all, had all the answers to fix all of the ills 
I got too close to administration without a big enough picture. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to get too close but not know what we're talking about. Let us be found faithful as those who recognize that our leaders are dealing with things we cannot imagine. And they're dealing with it on levels that we could not imagine. And they're dealing with it for us. So that we will be labored among, labored over, and pushed forward to maturity. And let us allow our leaders to do that work with joy. Because one day, your elders and your pastors will stand before your Savior and give an account for your soul. And there is many more details that we're not aware of that God is at work in. And so let us then pray that our leaders can do that with joy, that they would be found faithful, and that therefore we would be found faithful. Let us close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts to respond now to this instruction that we have received from your word, we praise you for our leaders. This is an uncomfortable text to preach, frankly. And yet, Lord, you have given us understanding hearts today by the ministry of your Spirit, and I pray that that would continue on as we see things perhaps that we've never seen before, that we would observe the way that our leadership operates, and that we would be joyfully praising you for these men who have stood firm in the gap for our sake. Pray that you would cause us to allow them to lead with joy, to take seriously the responsibility of accounting for the souls that sit before me. Lord, may this be such a reciprocal, joyful blessing that as a church fellowship, we are overjoyed and celebrating together, that you alone would be glorified in it, that we would avoid the trap that we've seen many other churches get into where They've maligned godly leadership and are now given poor leadership. Lord, may we be a church that continues in the heritage of which we have seen, especially over the last 50 years, where we can reflect back, even through all of our history, reflect back to godly leaders who have been found faithful and obedient in proclaiming the truth of the Word of God and standing in the gap. Lord, we know that we don't agree with them all the time. We know that there are challenges that we don't like, but I pray that you would help us to know the difference between those things that are preference and those things that are biblical. That we would hold our leaders to a biblical standard, but that they would then, in turn, be allowed to hold us to the same. And we'd give you the glory and the honor for it. Lord, we praise you that you gave to us human leaders, that we would have those to follow, those to be encouraged by, those to be strengthened through, and to be driven to godliness because of. May we imitate the faith of our godly leaders, and may our leaders here truly be godly indeed, that their faith would be worth imitating. And we give you the glory and the honor for it today as we respond in singing. I pray that we would lift our voices in praise before you, that you alone would be exalted as the one who is the reason that we celebrate today. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for all these things, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.